Um, so happy to have you guys here. Uh, you know, Laura reached out to me, uh, Lieutenant Governor, and said that you were working on a project as you were wrapping up the, the final days here. Wanted to make sure you put together a really nice out-of-office voicemail message for, for people who called your office now that you're not going to be in office anymore. You had heard that we had these studios. Um, we've got this big podcast that we do, and people people listen to it. And so we've got this this studio. You wanted to come in and have it, have it done, so we're happy, happy to make some time for you to come and do this. Um, well, I really appreciate you making the, the studio available because, you know, this is probably the last time anybody's going to hear anything from me or remember any aspect of my name or being that I was ever in this town. So I just want the voicemail to be perfect. Well, it's kind of it's kind of the nature of the lieutenant governor job, right? It's like you're kind of you can come and then gone, right? You know, I remember when uh, I got challenged to do a, a debate with a different lieutenant governor candidate eight years ago. And and my answer was, if two lieutenant governor candidates debated in the woods and nobody was there to hear them, would it actually make a sound? <laughs> yeah, no, it is the nature of it. It's been it's been awesome to serve. But this, you know, I just want people to, to leave with a real, you know, positive, lasting memory. And I figured the voicemail was the best way to do that. Okay. Well, Joe's been setting things up. We got the wire. We got the mic. You're all mic'd up. You're yep, ready to go? We're good to go. We're okay. ready to go. Well, whenever you're ready. All right, here we go. Hello, you've reached the desk of Governor Brian Kelly, the lieutenant one, not the real one. Plus, I, I just changed my voicemail password to something super hard, so good luck changing it, Garland. Unfortunately, I'm not here anymore to take your call, but don't worry about me. I'm going to keep busy. In a couple of weeks, I'm starting a new part-time thing as celebrity spokesman for Dollar Shave Club. I'm also going to start on a new book about my time as lieutenant governor. Right now, I'm workshopping a couple of titles, like maybe Going Back to Cali, or uh, or All the Good Stuff Was My Idea. I kind of like that one, but we'll see. If you need assistance from the lieutenant governor's office, I'd suggest you call Garland Gilchrist. He's the new lieutenant governor. I've met Garland. He's really, really a nice guy. But pro tip, you'll need a chair if you want to talk to him without facing his knees. If you really do want to get a hold of me, hit me up on social media. I try to win the internet every day, and it's way easier than winning the Republican primary these days. Thanks again for your call, but as of now, I'm off duty. Are we recording a new intro this season? Why? I'm just wondering. Are you saying that you've had enough of Sarah Humbry? No, 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 no. I, mean, I, I love Sarah. I would like to be a part of the intro. I think that right. would be nice. Well, why don't we work that little line in? That was good. Yeah, I'll, I'll find a spot for it. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his head. It's, it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of the fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. Get some disgusting stuff in some fruit. There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apple. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your... Say <laughs> So welcome back. You are listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Uh, this is Matt Resch of Resch Strategies. Uh, we are a public affairs and a public relations firm headquartered in uh, downtown Lansing, Michigan. Um, you can find us at reststrategies.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at reststrategies. Uh, all of our podcast episodes, we're up to 26 at this point, are on our website. 
There's also this thing they invented called iTunes, and we're on there too. So you can uh, check us out there. If you do listen on iTunes, um, take a second and give us a review. Give us some star ratings. That always helps us in that. Um, got a full house here today and a very special guest um, that we want to talk to. So I want to get around the room and have the team introduce themselves. I'll start look over here to you first. Joe Beshi. Nikki O'Mara. Stephanie Vancouvering. You know, our good friend Nick DeLue um, is putting, doing his part to win Father of the Year Award today. His son, Asher, I believe it was, is, um, has, a, has a speaking role in his school's Christmas um, program this afternoon, so he decided he was going to stay home. But the good news is that, if you remember, Joe, we did a, a survey last year of the most popular episodes that we did, mm-hmm. and the ones that turned out best were the ones that Nick didn't That is come true. To. I forgot about that, yeah. Thanks for not being here, Nick. So I think we are, <laughs> we, we're already ahead of the game. So thank you, Asher, for scheduling your pageant <laughs> on the day that we're having, doing the podcast. Uh, we do have a surprise special guest in with us before we get into our other special guest. Uh, Anna Heaton was in the office today, Director of Communications for Business Leaders of Michigan. She uh, heard a rumor that she might be able to ask her old boss some questions, and so she wanted to uh, stop in and join us. And lastly, uh, is before we get into talking to Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly, I wanted to introduce a new member of our team, First time on the podcast, first time on the staff. She's going to be joining us in January. Laura Beal joins the Rest Strategies team. Thanks for having me, too. Woo-woo. She sent me a text after the last podcast that she heard. She realizes now that she works here, she has to listen to it, um, at least every <laughs> once in a while. Not necessarily. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a requirement. Um, she said, I don't think that I can be as funny as, I'm funny enough to be on this podcast. True. All right. I just said, not me either. It's not, it's not hard, but. Thanks for being here. We're excited to have you on board. Sometimes being awkward is good enough. <laughs> <laughs> you have right there encapsulated this entire really? endeavor. <laughs> so um, before we introduce uh, the lieutenant governor, I do want to say a quick thank you to uh, Brian Western and Pete Mowry. They're our musical partners. Uh, they have been providing us music uh, since the beginning of the podcast, and uh, Brian is actually going to be helping us out with some special Christmas music because this is actually our Christmas episode. We'll coming to you a, full, a few days before the, the Christmas break. So with that, um, you heard him on the open. You heard the voicemail. So now you don't have to call his desk to hear that. You, you've heard it here first. But we want to introduce and welcome Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly to the podcast. It is great to be with you. I am a little bit disappointed I did not crack the top 25 guests. But uh, <laughs> we're just looking for the right moment. Number in, in Timing is up. 26. <laughs> We wanted I'm to have like 26 best. I'm 26 most interesting. Well, see, we wanted to have you on at this point because we wanted to let you break your break the news of what you were doing next to the uh, dozens of listeners that we have. Wait, what we, am I doing next? We, well, that's we were hoping maybe yeah, you could Dollar just Dollar like, Club. There you go. No, I thought that what I was probably going to do in all seriousness is I'm just going to declare myself the senior capital correspondent like Tim Skubik did and just make a whole career out of it. He's done pretty well. Because <laughs> I don't think that I don't think anybody ever. Like there wasn't, there wasn't like an application for that. He just started calling himself that, and everybody just let him have it. Well, there's a new sheriff in town. Well, and he's been it for like three decades. So was he always senior when it was thirty years ago? Yeah, I don't know because when I was eleven, I wasn't paying much attention to those <laughs> sorts of things. So I did mention it is our it is our Christmas episode. What is what's a Cali family Christmas like? What are you gonna What are you gonna be doing? Well, with we the stick close, and uh, and it's it's nice to have family that's close. So we have our uh, we have Julie and I have three kids, and they're 
of the age where we don't have any Santa believers anymore. So Christmas is a little bit different feel. But there was a time when we tried to be everywhere on Christmas Day because both sides of the family are close. And we gave up on that now. We're, we're, we're home with our kids in the morning on Christmas and, and either Christmas Eve or the weekend before or after or later in the afternoon on Christmas. We'll do, we'll do some visits. But uh, but as a practical matter, we've got our own family now and, and we're, we're building the day around them. Do you have any specific Christmas memories that are associated with the last eight years? Something that your family did around or the Christmas time because of being lieutenant governor? The... the this time of year tends to be a very busy time of year in the in the governor's office, and not necessarily things that are um, that are very uh, public in terms of press conferences and that, those sorts of things. And the legislature shut down, but it's not unusual. Even when it's not a lame duck session, at the end of the year, there's a flurry of activity and a whole bunch of bills that end up going to the to the governor. And there's a lot of work that happens after they pass the legislature. We we proof them and we comb through them and make decisions on what to do with them, and then they have to be signed and filed. And uh, and so it's not unusual for this time of year. You may have noticed that a lot of times I sign the bills at the end of the year because the, uh, the governor regularly in the past has regularly traveled around this time. And so um, and, and so for me personally, I've, I've stuck close because of that. And uh, usually Christmas time and the week between Christmas and New Year's includes uh, bill, sign, bill signing sessions. As an appropriate follow-up to that, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Appropriate. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well there's I've one that's far and away my favorite, and then there's a bunch of ties for number two. Die Hard is definitely my favorite. Oh, oh man. Did Nick, Nick here. did Nick send that oh, to you? Yeah. We just had a whole conversation this morning about how we were going to talk about the favorite Christmas movie, and because Nick wasn't going to be here, we wouldn't have to listen to Die Hard. So. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Listen. That's... That's a, it's, it's a Christmas classic. He already thinks so highly of you. He will be so crushed to know that he couldn't agree <laughs> to hear you say those words. Wait, that was number one. You have a number two. Well, I like a lot. I I love Christmas time. It's my favorite time of year, and uh, and so I like all. I do like all the old classics, the ones that you you can only catch on TV uh, this time. But I've really gotten into my my kids watching uh, Jim Carrey's. Rendition of the Grinch. Oh, we didn't mm-hmm. talk about that. And one. Uh, yeah. you know, somehow I didn't see it before, and uh, and now that they've taken to it, it's uh, it's it's really quite good. I'm surprised that's not on your list, Joe. You would think so, but yeah, yeah, yeah I just kind of forgot about that. That was pretty good. Yeah, I am. I am the Grinch. Yeah, I am the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> Embodiment of the Grinch. You have a movie? Holiday movie? I think Home Alone. Yeah, that was on one of our lists. Yeah, I think every Christmas movie was on my list. So, <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, and this is, a, it's a kind of a, a two-part question, kind of the same theme, but in two kind of areas. So you ran for the House 12 years ago, um, 2006, right? Yep. And kind of the tenor of the media and the news media has changed, I think, a lot, certainly in the last handful of years. Curious as you look back to... 12 years ago, first eight, four in the House and now eight wrapping up in the governor's office. Um, how have you viewed, how has the media changed? How has your interactions with the media changed? Has your observations, their treatment of you, your treatment of them, your strategies towards dealing with them? Well, th- if, there's, if I had one, I'll start with the complaint and then I'll, and I'll go back to, uh, to, to what I, I really think about these people that I spend so much time with. The, um, the, the complaint is that there's definitely a bias toward negative. 
And it, one, one of the things, being a gubernatorial candidate, that was so frustrating was that unless I was saying something negative, I couldn't get an audience. And, uh, and so it created this perception as though, and I, and I wonder how many campaigns that I've perceived as negative, but really they weren't. It was just a matter of that's the only thing that the, that the media reported on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but right from the very beginning, it used to be back in the olden days when I was in the House of Representatives, the, uh, you, you, would pick, you would really pick your own seats. Today, leadership picks your seat for you and pairs you up with somebody. And uh, back then, though, you picked and it was a lottery. And so when, you, when your name came up, and the, so a seniority, and then within your class, there'd be a lottery. There were very few Republicans elected in 2006, just a handful of us. And so I picked second to last, and I ended up with seat number one. So the far right-hand side of the chamber, first row. Nobody wanted that seat. And the reason that nobody wanted that seat was because it's right next to the media. Plus, it's far away, as far away from the bathrooms you can get to. Right. And so... It's uh, it, it, that was the reason people didn't like it. And then I decided, though, pretty quickly that it was a great place to sit because I, I got to know people in the media. And, and that paid off big over over my time. I felt like uh, I was able to to be involved in um, and get more notoriety and and, to, and to, to be a better advocate for my issues because I had relationships with the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I definitely have a bias toward the toward the print media reporters. These are the ones that dig in. These are the ones that you, you form the, the closest relationships with. And uh, nothing inappropriate, but, I mean, it, you know, the people you really get to know best, the nuances, and, and they get to know you best. And so whether it's, uh, uh, you know, Live and Good or Osting or um, Emily Lawler, um, David Eggert and Paul Egan, Kathy Gray, I mean, those are the ones that day in and day out, they're just there on the ground doing the reporting and they do they do a damn fine job. You have any any story to share? And I don't mean to put you on the spot or any kind of any time on the day traveled with you on the campaign that you spend a day together or anything like that. The a, a good reporter story. Yeah, well, you know, actually, um, Chad Livengood before he went to Cranes um, had asked if he could join me. Like just kind of wondering, you you moved your office office to Flint. What what do you do every day? And uh, and there's there's not a simple answer to that. Every day was just radically different one from another. And so Chad joined uh, with me, just got in the car, and and, uh, and we spent all day and just kind of day in the life of what I was doing every day there. And, uh, and so that was a, um, that was a great, um, it's a, it a great, for me it was a great insight into the reporters. So obviously reporters are always looking for insight into the, into the elected people. And, uh, and, and I felt the more time that I've invested in relationships, kind of understand where people are coming from and gain some level of trust in terms of how things are, are going to be, um, are going to be reported. If it's going to be accurate, then, um, I'm going to be much less guarded in what I say. And, uh, and so I, so they're, they're good. And I should have, when I, when I mentioned the, the, uh, the print ones, I don't want to uh, leave out too that Zach Gorchow and, and Kyle Malin. And the whole team at Gongwer and Murs, obviously, they're the ones that are really digging into the weeds on this stuff. But uh, but real, it, I, it's hard to imagine this town without them. Mm-hmm. How about social media? Now, you, Facebook w- was invented two years before you joined the house, and I think I, as I looked it up, Twitter started about eight months before you. And I remember when I was in the house when you joined, we were using the college kids used Facebook, and the interns would help us search. You know, people who are 
you know, do background checks on people who were applying for jobs. And that was about the only thing we ever used it for. But now, obviously, 12 years later, it's it's everything. Um, right. How has that changed your life? You know, it seems strange now because it's so ingrained in our lives. But in my first term in office, I had actually still with me today, uh, Ben Geiger, who was on my staff. So he was out in the front desk and I was back in, in my office and I used to answer my email personally. And, um, and it was, it was a, I spent a couple hours a day doing it, but all my rep email I answered personally. And somebody had s- sent an email to me asking why they couldn't find me on the social media platform. And, and I remember calling out to Ben. I said, hey, Ben, what, what is Facebook and should I be on it? <laughs> And and then here we are, twelve years later, and the answer um, was no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the answer was no. No, it's important to be on it. Just stay away from the comments. Stay away from the comments, especially spouses of elected people. Stay far away from the comments. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your best day as lieutenant governor? Oh, geez, there's so it's it's hard to pick. But I, the day that autism insurance reform passed. It's like a magical day. Uh, it was an issue that I'd worked for several years before. Been very frustrated. Lots of start, starts and stops. But that had everybody against it. So all the business groups were against it. All the unions were against it. And all the insurance industry was against it. So I don't know how much people know about what happens in this town, but those are all the big ones, right? Those are the biggest of the players. And they all unified against changing the insurance code, not just on autism insurance reform, but really practically any change to the insurance code. And all I had a... Um, I had this army of uh, what I, I call them POMs. It's an acronym, P-O-A-M, stands for, for Pissed Off Autism Moms. And they just descended on this system in a way that had to be reckoned with. And, uh, and, and it, we just, just muscled it through. And it was really cool to see a, an organized group of, you know, essentially amateur lobbyists, you know, citizen activists who who overcame the giants. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't think of another example uh, of, of, of something that was that much David versus Goliath and still got done. Now, it had the full uh, weight and support of the governor's office behind it, which counts for a lot. Uh, but having, uh, but, but ha- seeing that whole process go through, and the governor was visiting troops in Afghanistan when the bill came to his desk, so I got to personally sign it, which was also very thrilling. What was the worst day? Oh, the worst day. Um, this moment right now. You know, there were, uh, <laughs> yeah, there's still time for that, <laughs> still time for that title. Um, it, it's, I don't look back on any of the days as being the worst days. There were definitely low days. Um, I, I remember when, uh, when the, uh, the state of the state where the governor took full responsibility for Flint it was, in, in some ways, it was, a, it was a low day because there was so much negativity toward him. But it was also a, a day where I, c- I couldn't have been more proud of him than I was at that day, where, where most, uh, practically anybody in, in political office would have pointed fingers and, and, and said, you know, somebody else's fault. And, and so many of the mistakes made there were so many levels away from the governor. He couldn't possibly have been in a position uh, to uh, to stop it, and yet he took responsibility. And that's the kind of man he is. I'm so proud of him. But it was hard for me to see uh, see the the way that people took advantage of his buck stops here approach and uh, and and used it to kind of scapegoat him when so many other people were caused problems. Yeah. 
Can you talk a little bit more about Flint? You mentioned Chad Live and Good came up and, and spent a day, and I, I remember um, doing a client press conference that you participated in right around that time, and you had just you were just announcing that you were moving your your office up there, and you were going to be working from Flint. What's the story of Flint that we don't know, that we haven't seen, and hasn't been told that everyone should hear? Well, it's a very resilient city, and there are people that have been working for a long time on a renaissance in Flint. I, I look at it as uh, like like we've all we all know when we've seen the the story in Detroit, and I tell people if you haven't been to to Detroit in the last six months, you haven't been there. You don't know what's happening. It's just changing that quickly. That there are there are so many people that have been working on. Uh, on the on philanthropic efforts and early childhood education and healthcare issues and economic development, the whole Saginaw Street corridor and the things that have happened in that city, local developers, outside investment, Lear uh, coming to town with the hundreds of new jobs, so many different things. The capital city, multi-million dollar renovation, um, the uh, hundred thousand ideas, this economic development concept that that came uh, to to downtown Flint as well. There are. Um, and, and then Kettering and then the riverfront uh, restoration. I mean, so many different things that are happening there and, uh, and, and, and so much to be excited about the future. And that I, I feel like even today, years later, it's hard for all of the, the positive things that are happening there to break through. And, uh, and, and so I know these things, it, it really does take time. But I, I got to know people really, really well there well enough to where there are people now, many people in Flint, that are part of my regular social life, just personally friends. And, uh, and that's a, uh, it's not something that I ever would have expected when I first started, and yet it happened. Just, just darn good people. And I, I, so I, I look back, and it was a challenge, one of the most challenging years of my, uh, of my professional life, and yet it's, it's, it's one of the ones I think I'll look, it's one of those time periods I'll look back most fondly on because it was important work and uh, and the people there were so inspiring. Have you had a lot of what I think of as Forrest Gump moments where you, you are in a place and you can't believe you're standing there with the people doing what you're doing? Do you ever... Yeah, well, listen, I've, had, I've had many of those. I uh, My whole job as lieutenant governor has been has been like one big moment like that. But when um, in 2012 there was a uh, celebration at the Grand Hotel, it was the 125th anniversary of the of the hotel being opened, and Governor Snyder couldn't make it, and uh, and so there are a lot of other former governors that came, and I went in place of Governor Snyder, and they had a speaking lineup, and it was it was Governor Milliken, he came, mm-hmm. and then it was Blanchard, and then it was Engler, and uh, Governor Granholm couldn't make it, and then it was me. And so there's like this this lineup of people. I was like, "How did I get here?" You know, these 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 you know giants of, of Michigan political history. And uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the coolest moments though happened on that day when uh, when Governor Milliken, a former lieutenant governor himself, um, when when we met in Dan Musser's office before we went up on uh, the the stage, he said to me. Oh, Brian Kelly, I've always wanted to meet you. Oh, and wow. I was like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was, uh, that was pretty cool. How about the moment when you got the call because the governor was out of the state and you said, oh, man, can, can this maybe wait till the governor gets back? Is there a moment <laughs> like this? You had to be gone right now? Our, um, our, 
team is so good at uh, <laughs> at day to day operations that um, I don't I don't want to say that the governor kind of worked himself out of a job because he he's always thinking of new ideas and pushing the team. But the day to day operations, they people everybody knows what to do, and uh, and and so it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. But it, it did seem like there were there were plenty of times when. He was on a trade mission, and something would something would go. You know, something would happen. It would be this big thing. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was one time he was in Israel or something. Anna, you might remember, and he had to come back. He had to fly back early, and it was, something happened in the legislature. It was and healthy uh, Michigan. Mm-hmm. yeah, was it was it healthy Michigan? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So um, there, it it just seemed like uh, you know the schedule never. There's never a good time for the governor to be gone, and so it's it's just one of those things. It seems like something always came up when he was gone. But something always came up when he wasn't gone, too. So it's it's just the nature of that type of work, the breadth and the scope of the issues, the size of the state, and the number of things happening all the time. It's uh, but it was cool to see it all to see it all work because uh, this team was a very diverse team from different backgrounds, people that were brand new to it, people that had been around forever, and uh, to see the way that it came together just to take care of business. It was uh, it was pretty pretty neat to see. That's a very, very polite answer, very politically right answer <laughs> to that question. <laughs> I remember I was one in the, your job, Anna or Laura, or both at the time at the bitter end, right around the, probably around the same time, and Governor Engler was gone, and I think that the press secretary was probably traveling with him, and there was some sort of like forest fire, or some something going on in the UP, and in yeah, December, I, it was like it was late, it was late. It's gonna be dry in December. Um, <laughs> But it was like this is the point where like there was one cell phone that Susan and I shared, and like if I was going to only be, for emergencies, yeah, it was like the, it was the the bat phone, and it was a Saturday morning, and the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was this guy, and he was some he was some police law enforcement fire person up in the UP, and he was asking my permission to like put out the to put out the fire. I'm like, whoa, yes, yes. <laughs> yes Why are you calling like, me? Yeah. How, how many people did you call before you got to me? <laughs> put out the fire, man. So one of the things that I wonder about you uniquely is that you have been widely known and are recognized as one of the nicest, most genuine guys to come into politics in a really long time. And I'm not saying that just to be flattering. I'm, I mean that. Um, did you write? Did, did he write that for you? Like the voice? No, 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 no. But what I wonder is the only thing better than my awesomeness is my humility. <laughs> <laughs> but no. You know, we all have seen Mr. Smith goes to Washington and these stories of guys that are, are just really, really nice men going on to, to kind of take on the system a little bit. Now that you are winding up the first portion of your political career, obviously more to come, um, what do you think about politics? Like just in a from a 40,000 foot view, is it, are you disillusioned? Do you feel like it's better than it's made out to be? I used to have this saying in 2007, my first year in office, I used to say, you know, state government's not as bad as you think. Like, it's way worse. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and back then, it, it was like that. I, but the thing is that um, now it's, uh, I, like, I remember the day, I do remember the day when I kind of had my heart broken, when I, when I realized just kind of the the way the system was working or not working at that point. Like, I, I, I knew a lot about government and how it was supposed to operate or how the, what, the, what the textbooks say. And, uh, and, then to, and then to get in, I thought, oh, this just doesn't, it doesn't 
didn't seem right. And uh, it, and that was, I was at a meeting. It was a big meeting. A lot of and there was a bill that was being debated, and there was these two interest groups. And one interest group was saying, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm gonna oppose this bill if unless you change because your special carve out is better than my carve out." And I want to, and I was like, "Is this what we're doing right now?" And uh, and so that was, you know, serving as a member in the minority, and and uh, it's it's difficult to impact things sometimes. And when I was in the house, it always seemed like I, my job was to make bad less bad, because I just didn't have the numbers to to make good things happen. And uh, and and that was what was so amazing about this administration: the discipline to just stay focused on doing what's right. And and the political considerations were were typically the last thing considered. And that was that was amazing. It was so opposite from. It seemed like before it was. If there was a problem, people would look at it and say, okay, what are the things that the politics will allow us to consider as potential solutions to these, pol- to these problems? Whereas the way we looked at it was, first of all, let's all agree to what the problem is, and then let's investigate the best possible solutions. Let's pick the solution that fits the problem, fixes the problem the best, and then let's figure out how to deal with the politics. That was, um, it was just something refreshing, kind of restored my um, my uh, my hope in what, was was possible uh, in in this system and we were able to get so much done that way so i was a little bit skeptical I mean, to be blunt i was pretty skeptical in the beginning that um that such an idealistic approach could be effective and it ended up being the most effective approach i think we've seen in a long time mm-hmm. so anna here's your chance you don't work for him anymore. Any questions you've been just dying to ask? Just can't get away and from another me. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to say. Okay, I'll do a serious one and then a personal one. Um, so you were really instrumental in tax reform in 2011 and 2012, really resetting the foundation for our economy. Is there anything on that policy to-do list that you didn't get done that's really going to bother you? Yeah, on. there. I mean, it just seems like there's no matter how many things you deal with, there's like there's the next thing, and um, and so we we did so much work to bring Detroit so far. No fault auto insurance reform is is really needed in order to to bring the neighborhoods back, and uh, and to have some real serious population growth. That's one that I wish that we would have made more progress on. Um, another area that's still. Um, you know, still, still some focus on and here um, at toward toward the very end, but it's it's the uh, like recycling and, and cleaning up orphan uh, and environmental environmentally contaminated sites. And this is uh, this is an area where it just seemed like the like everybody agrees that it's good to 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 go do these things, but finding our way to a solution was difficult. Roads was the most frustrating one. Uh, that's one where everybody hates our roads, and yet coalescing around a solution was uh, was so difficult. I ended up breaking the tie to uh, to get the the new package of one point two billion more a year into the roads, which was smaller than we wanted, but still setting new records every year. So um, th- those are some of the areas I, I wish that we'd have gotten the roads package done, you know, three or four years earlier. And, um, but it just relentless positive action just kept at it until, until the, the thing passed and it just didn't happen until pretty late. So relentless positive action, what is your catchphrase? Do you have your own? Oh, my catchphrase? I, I don't know if I have a catchphrase. Laura, do I have a catchphrase? Sometimes I don't even know it. <laughs> somebody, well, somebody asked me, they said, well, did you used to say 
as a practical matter so much before Rick, you met Rick you Snyder. You say that a lot. And, oh. uh, <laughs> and, and I said, I don't know, let's dialogue about that for a little while. <laughs> uh, and, and we'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know if I have a, uh, a, a catchphrase. Fear the beard. Yeah. Fear the beard. Yeah, you know the thing. My award-winning beard. Yes. 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 We we were we were remiss. We should have presented this at the beginning, but we, you know, congratulations, you did win, or I should say, your beard won yes. the golden turkey for mm-hmm. the most important underreported story. Yeah, landslide. It wasn't even close. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, but I mean, it's the thing. Is that <laughs> the th- and the thing is that it's. Um, I hear people talking about, you know, who who. Who are the winners of the cycle? Some are obvious, like, you know, Gretchen Whitmer won the governor's office, but a big margin, so, you know, definitely a winner of the cycle. Republicans retaining uh, control of both chambers of the legislature was pretty big. Um, But I don't know. I've consulted with the Internet, and... The authority. My beard's it's right the, up there. It is the authority. I am going to start saying that. I've consulted with the Internet. <laughs> I love that. I read it there. It has to be true. That's right. Does the beard give you any superpowers? It, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say superpowers, but it definitely, you know, enhances pretty much everything. Right. <laughs> it sometimes turns the filter off too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, what do we need to know about Laura? Oh. Now that oh, now that we're here, at last. What what do we you know? Yeah, Annie. We're all going to be working with. We're all going to be working with her. Anna's been working with her, but she's new to the. the well, first of all, I mean, she doesn't steal too much, so that's okay. good. <laughs> It's a good quality. You know, there was a uh, there was a time in the very beginning when I didn't even have a dedicated media person. When we first started out, my um, my team was just integrated in with the governor's team. So uh, some people wouldn't realize uh, perhaps the way these things are normally operate. These things normally operate. The lieutenant governor is is usually kind of an island in administration uh, on a separate floor from. Uh, the the main nerve center of an administration and and um, and it has a its own separate team, and I never really had that. I uh, I I decided to integrate my team in with the governor's team, and uh, as as the portfolio of work grew bigger and bigger, it became more and more necessary to uh, to to have somebody kind of specialize on on uh, capturing my voice and and uh, in in communication. So. Thankfully, Laura came around or became available or was interested in in taking it on because I'm not always as smooth as I appear. (laughs) And uh, she's helped to take some of the the rough edges (laughs) off. Sometimes I I often say, no, we can't say that. It's a, I can be a handful. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we appreciate you coming by um, and we appreciate Laura helping us secure a a all-star guest for our Christmas episode. Anna, thank you for dropping in and helping us out, too. Um, you're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This has been a conversation with Lieutenant Governor Brian Cowley. Good luck to what's that, whatever is next. I won't be going far. See you soon. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. Since we have no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Well, it doesn't show signs of stopping. And I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. When we finally kiss goodnight, how I hate going out in the storm. But if you really hold me tight, 
All the way home I'll be warm All the fire is slowly dying And my dear, we're still goodbye But as long as you love me so Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow If you want, okay. if you use my <laughs> Christmas list, <laughs> I think you should. I think there's a rule that if, think, if your Christmas list gets published, I think most in a of the podcast, room wants to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see how it sounds. See how it sounds. So let it snow. Brian sent that over. Um, you know, I've mentioned Brian and Pete a lot as they've given us music for the podcast. And um, last year, if you for you faithful listeners remember that. Brian sent through some music with his two little uh, daughters singing. Um, this year I texted him and asked if he had anything he could send. And a couple of days later, sent through a couple of great little Christmas songs. So uh, you can enjoy those on the podcast today. It's our Christmas episode. Uh, Brian Callie was here. Any takeaways? Nikki, the first time you'd met Brian. Oh, I thought he was really funny. And I was surprised because I don't know. I just assume that if you're in government, you're not funny. I don't know. But he had a really good personality, so that was a nice surprise. I thought he was awesome. Yeah, I want him back. I want him. Brian, if you're listening, please be a regular on the podcast. That'd be uh, yeah. be awesome. Yeah. The pop in. Yeah. So our Christmas card, we just got done talking a little bit about Christmas cards here, all of us, and our, our family traditions of sending them out or not. Um, we do have a little tradition here at Rest Strategies of sending out a holiday card with a original cartoon on the cover. Um, it's become a chore. Um, but when but we do a happy, with joy. joyful chore <laughs> in coming up with cards that make people laugh in 2018 and not offend because that's that's a, 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 seems to be a, a challenge mm-hmm. these days and finding a, a joke that does not offend people. Uh, but I think we did it okay as long as you're not Bill Shooty or a toad. Yeah. Um, my mom sent me, I, I never told you this, but my mom sent me a text. I love the Rush Christmas card. Like, All right. Uh, cool. Hey. I'll maybe let Matt know, but probably not. I guess I'm letting you know now. Well, they're always a spinoff on kind of the, the biggest political issue or slogan of the year. And um, this one takes off on Governor-elect Whitmer's slogan to fix the damn roads. Fix the damn roads, a Golden Turkey Award winning slogan from Jonathan Oosting. Um, and we, we put a little Rush Strategies twist with Santa yelling at his elves in the amphibian toy department to fix the damn toads. Um, so it's gotten good feedback. It's fun. Didn't know if we were going to get there this year. A couple of setbacks. We did get fired by our original cartoonist. This has never happened before. So a little background. For the first seven years of the card, I used and worked with the same cartoonist. And I'd never met this gentleman. He's, I think he lives out in the West Coast someplace. His name is Roy Delgado. And I got the very sad news last year that he had developed a tremor in his hand and his artist, his, his drawing hand, and was having to retire from becoming a, being a cartoonist and was not going to be able to help us with our cartoon anymore. Hmm. And so we, we, searched, we searched high and low for someone who could work with us, and we found a, a, another great cartoonist who put together a really nice card for us last year. And so this year when the fix the damn toads idea came to us and kind of I, I always have to send the, the joke and the context off to the, the cartoonists and they don't live here in Michigan so they don't really get where it's coming from so it takes a little bit of, of background. 
he wrote back and with some with some options that were nothing close to the joke and he kind of said you know i just have a hard time seeing santa do all this so i took it on this direction and then said if if this isn't right just you know let me know and so i wrote back and i go yeah this isn't this isn't right um and he wrote back and said okay well good luck finding a new cartoonist <laughs> like oh well, in fairness, Merry Christmas. Santa wouldn't have that attitude, so I totally, I totally get. You don't yeah, think so? Mm-hmm. You don't I think, think the stress of the holidays gets to Santa too? I mean, no, he's Santa. <laughs> it should. Your cartoonist was right. Yeah, but did you provide him clips? Did you give him the I background? Gave him all of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he said, "I don't." And it was funny because he said, "You know, my and I, I guess it's genuine." He goes, "My." My, just my childhood belief in in Santa and who he is oh, just God. doesn't let me. Oh my gosh. Doesn't let me draw a, this. I don't I, think I can do that. Seriously? Yeah, that's. Yeah, uh, artistic <laughs> integrity. I'm glad he's not getting paid by you to do that card. That's. <laughs> well, I, I give him credit. I, th- this yeah. is the this is the first year. You set, hate Santa. I, Why do you? I care? don't hate yeah, Santa. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> this is the first year doing, Nick? since we've done the Christmas card that I took my pastor off the list, off the Christmas card list. Hi, Pastor Mark, if you're listening. I'm sure he's not listening. But like, yeah, I'm not going to send a Christmas card with a profanity to my pastor. I took my mom off the list, too. I'm like, hey, she's not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've already established that she only listens when I guilt her into listening, so I can tell the story. But yeah, so I can get it. If this guy's a Santa purist, Santa wouldn't use a four-letter profanity. I don't know. I've watched Elf. I could see him. So yeah, I, I was okay with it. Didn't bother me. Oh, artists. Good Lord. So <laughs> last year, I think we bored everyone with what we were doing at the Christmas holidays, but Nikki didn't work here then. So Nikki, do you oh, have... Oh, God. It? Do you have, what? <laughs> I'm not doing anything interesting. Okay. Well, <laughs> this should be short. I think what we should do is we know, we know that Nikki has a Christmas list that's just beyond her family's like financial ability to you know, cover. <laughs> World peace. Well, and, and countless other things. So what we're going to do is we're going to test the charity level of the Cold Oatmeal podcast. And we're going to publish her Amazon wish list somewhere. That's a perfect idea. I don't yeah. think that's charity. I think it's an opportunity to participate with us in the okay. podcast. Yeah, there you go. So at Cold Oatmeal Pod on Twitter. Keep your eyes peeled. Go fund me account. That's an Amazon wish list. It's no, it's easy. an Amazon wish list. Yeah. yeah. It's a well, click, buy, one click. you don't want to buy a gift, you can contribute to the fund, and then we can go shopping. Yeah, I suppose. As a group. Guys, this sounds amazing. Thank you so much. Can't <laughs> <laughs> wait. Not every Christmas. Not every Christmas is like that here. I will say that. Um, are you guys doing the same thing for Christmas that you talked about last year? Exactly the same. Yep. I think so. Now we're it's, talking cri- about it's, again. it's Christmas. Yeah. It's <laughs> always the same. Some people's change. So I guess I will answer your question, Matt. So every year. Just <laughs> get into this. Robert and I. My husband Robert and I go to Chicago for a long weekend, the weekend before Christmas. Joe thinks this is stupid. Um, it's really yep. fun. We have a good time. We have a tradition. We go see a Christmas carol. We go out to dinner to the same place. It's kind of, we do the same thing. So that's really nice. On Christmas itself, though, we go, both our families live in East Lansing. We go back and forth between the two homes about a bajillion times um, to appease both families and make sure we get in the time. But, you know, we don't have to travel far and we get to see everybody. And. Who gets Christmas morning? It's an exhausting day. Who wins with Christmas morning? So that changes. This okay. year it's going to be Robert's family. Okay, so Robert wins this year. Robert wins this year. Those are nice but. traditions. What well, I know Joe thinks everything is stupid, but what about that is stupid? Going to Chicago just, for a weekend with your, like with your spouse? I don't, I don't want to. Everyone's in Chicago to do that. I don't want to deal with that. That sounds <laughs> like a nightmare. It's a beautiful town. <laughs> 
I look forward to the day when Joe gets married and his wife is like, let's go to yeah. Chicago. <laughs> Chicago for a long weekend. And Joe's like, okay, I love you. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> Maybe if you go with the right person and do the right things, yeah. it'll be fun. Yeah. 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 yeah, I bet. There we go. It is. Next She's person. out there. Next person. <laughs> Next person. Next um, person. Actually, if you're watching the Twitter feed uh, and would like to respond to Joe's wish list for <laughs> a sure. nice time yeah. in Chicago. We could, <laughs> Nikki's Amazon <laughs> gift sure. list and Joe's Tinder account yeah. on the podcast <laughs> at, Twitter, at Cold Oatmeal Pod on Twitter. Well, this has been our Christmas episode. I want to send a, send a special thanks to uh, the Lieutenant Governor, Brian Kelly uh, and his beard, who appeared and, and spoke with us, talked about his time in office. Um, it was a pleasure and an honor to have him here. Uh, also, he brought Laura with him, who's going to be joining our team here in the new year, and we are excited to have Laura with us. Anna Heaton from Business Leaders of Michigan stopped by to help in our interview with um, the Lieutenant Governor. And thanks to Brian Western for the music you have heard and are about to hear. So with that, Merry Christmas from the Cold Oatmeal Podcast and Rest Strategies, and we will talk to you in 2019. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Just like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmases be white May your days be merry and bright Christmas